Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and this is a podcast recording of the Old Testament. Although this is not an official recording of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, every effort's been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. I'll be using for the text the Joseph Smith translation of the Old Testament, along with many commentaries from general authorities of the Church, BYU professors, Bible scholars, and others. This format will be very detailed, and so if you want a deep analysis of the Old Testament, you come to the right place. Thanks for your attendance. Hello there, welcome back. This is going to be for Malachi chapter 4. I'm going to read the heading. At the second coming, the proud and the wicked shall be burned as stubble. Elijah shall return before that great and dreadful day. Again, as I mentioned before, this is also in the Book of Mormon. Third uh, Nephi chapter 25 is basically the same as Malachi 4. Uh, so I will read, uh, read the scripture and then lots of commentaries. Verse 1, For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly, shall be, or shall burn as stubble, and the day that cometh shall burn them up. For they that come shall burn them, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. Bruce R. McConkie said, or suggested that Malachi was quoting specifically in Malachi 4, 1-2 from the words of the ancient prophet Zenos, whose writings were contained on the plates of brass, but are not found in the Bible as it stands today. So when it talks about roots and branches, I think it's talking about family, roots being our ancestors and branches being our posterity. The ultimate blessing of the gathering of Israel is sealing in the temple to ancestors and posterity. The reason the earth was created was for the families to exist eternally. Doctrine and Covenants section 49.16 says, Wherefore it is lawful that he should have one wife, and they twain shall be one flesh, and all this that the earth might answer the end of its creation. Again, the reason the, the reason the earth was created was to create families. Verse 2, But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. Now in the Book of Mormon, instead of being S-U-N, it says S-O-N. That is power in his in his extremities when it says healing in his wings, the power that came from his having had nails driven through his hands and feet. In short, the Son of Righteousness came with the power of the atonement. Orson Pratt said, Then now then all the inhabitants who are spared from this fire, those who are not proud and who do not do wickedly, will be cleansed more fully and filled with the glory of God. The children who are born into the world will grow up without sin unto salvation. Why will this be so? Because that fallen nature introduced by the fall and transferred from parents to children from generation to generation will be in a measure eradicated by this change. Then the righteous will go forth and grow up like calves of the stall, and one revelation says their children shall grow up without sin unto salvation, Satan having no power to tempt them. These children will not sin. Verse 3, And ye shall tread down the wicked... For they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Notice the ashes part here that, remember at the second coming when Jesus burns everything, that the people that will also be destroyed will become ashes under our feet. Also remember that uh, at the Battle of Armageddon it mentions that there will be burying the dead for seven months. So the Battle of Armageddon when Jesus appears on the Mount of Olives could not be the the final second coming, because uh, we're still burying the dead as opposed to uh, walking on their ashes. Verse 4, Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. The law revealed to Moses never was revealed to the children of Israel, not in its fullness. Upon a cursory reading of this verse, one may wonder why Jesus is quoting this part of Malachi's prophecy in light of the fact that the law of Moses was fulfilled in Christ. 
The answer could possibly be that the Lord and Malachi were not referring to the Mosaic Code and carnal commandments, but rather to a different law that was given to Moses in Horeb, a higher law, even the fullness of the gospel, that because of Israel's rebelliousness and stiff-neckedness, they never were able to fully receive. That's by uh, Millard and McConkie. Joseph Smith said, How shall God come to the rescue of this generation? He will send Elijah the prophet. The law revealed to Moses in Horeb never was revealed to the children of Israel as a nation. Elijah shall reveal the covenants to seal the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. Remember that when Moses came down from the mount the first time, he had on the tablets, he had the fullness of the gospel. Because of their wickedness, he destroyed those and had to go back up into the mount again. And then he received the Mosaic Code and the carnal commandments. Verse 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Behold, I will reveal unto you the priesthood by the hand of Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Elijah did come. He came to the temple on April the 3rd, 1836. In uh, section 110, it reads, After this vision had closed, another great and glorious vision burst upon us. For Elijah the prophet, who was taken to heaven without tasting death, stood before us and said, Behold, the time has fully come, which was spoken of by by the mouth of Malachi, testifying that he, Elijah, should be sent before the great and dreadful day of the Lord come, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers, lest the whole earth be smitten with a curse. Therefore, the keys of this dispensation are committed into your hands, and by this ye may know that the great and dreadful day of the Lord is near even at the doors. Jewish literature is replete with the promise and expectation of Elijah's coming. That is the last promise of the Old Testament in the last verses of Malachi, and it is Jewish tradition that on the second night of Passover they must leave open the door and place at the temple head at the temple head I'm sorry, that they must place Pass, uh, okay, I'm going to start over. And it, it is Jewish tradition that on the second night of Passover, they must leave open the door and place at the table head an empty chair and a goblet full of wine in the expectation that Elijah may come. It is interesting, especially in light of that Jewish tradition, that April the 3rd, 1836, was the second day of Passover. The symbolism is beautiful. Elijah comes as they expect to a home. He comes to a goblet of wine, the sacramental wine. He comes to turn hearts, which is more than changing minds. He turns hearts to hearts. That was by Truman Madsen. Joseph Fielding Smith said, Among the Jews, Elijah the Tishbite finds a place of honor in their history, second to none of the prophets. It was, I am informed, on the third day of April, 1836, that the Jews in their homes at the Paschal Feast opened their doors for Elijah to enter. On that very day, Elijah did enter, not in the home of the Jews, to partake of the Passover with them, but he appeared in the house of the Lord, erected to his name and received by the Lord in Kirtland, and there bestowed his keys to bring to pass the very things for which these Jews assembled in their homes were seeking." In uh, Joseph Smith History, verse 38, it says, And again he quoted, speaking of Moroni, the fifth verse thus, Behold, I will reveal unto you the priesthood by the hand of Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. He also quoted the next verse differently, And he shall plant in the hearts of the children the promises made to the fathers, and the hearts of the children shall turn to their fathers. If it were not so, the whole earth would be utterly wasted at his coming. When Moroni appeared to Joseph, he quoted Moroni 4, uh, 5, and 6, but with significantly different wording from the way it appears in either the Bible or the Book of Mormon, which I just read. 
Moroni's version adds important doctrinal insights into this prophecy. For whatever reason, Moroni changed the words. It is clear that the mission of Elijah is significant to the restoration of the everlasting gospel. And that understanding, that mission, is essential to understanding and appreciating the fullness of the gospel. The prophet Joseph Smith taught extensively concerning Malachi's prophecy and the critical mission of Elijah. Elijah was the last prophet that held the keys of the priesthood, and who will, before the last dispensation, restore the authority and deliver the keys of the priesthood, in order that all the ordinances may be attended to in righteousness? Why send Elijah? Because he held the keys of the authority to administer in all the ordinances of the priesthood, and without the authority as given, the ordinances could not be administered in righteousness. The fulfillment of this prophecy occurred on the 3rd of April, 1836, in the Kirtland Temple, when Elijah appeared to Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery and restored those keys to the earth in its final dispensation. Verse 6, And he shall turn, or plant, in the hearts of the fathers to the children, the promises made to the fathers, and the hearts of the children shall turn to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. If it were not so, the whole earth would be utterly wasted at his coming. Joseph Smith said that the word turn should be, should be seal or bind. Elijah came to the Kirtland Temple, which, which we mentioned. A byproduct of this process of being sealed to each other is that those on the earth are sealed to those in heaven and can draw assistance from them. Each generation needs to be welded to the one before it such that a whole, complete, and perfect union can be made. One of the first things necessary for that union is the organization of the righteous from every dispensation into one eternal family. In this way, all the keys, powers, and glories from the days of Adam to the present are brought together to prepare the earth for the return of its great king. That's why we do so much genealogy work, is so that there's a welding link from us all the way back to, uh, to Adam and Eve. Though there is no direct mention of celestial marriage in the Book of Mormon, it is inconceivable that such blessings were not available to the people who were worthy of them. We would assume also that inasmuch as the fullness of the gospel and the fullness of the gospel ordinances was had by the Nephites, baptisms for the dead were, pra were practiced just as they were in the old world. The record is, however, silent on the matter. That was by Millet and McConkie. The hearts of the fathers and of the children will be turned to one another when the fathers in the spirit world, hearing the gospel preached and realizing that they must obey the ordinances thereof, know that their children on the earth are performing those ordinances for, for them. That was by uh, David O. McKay. So we know that uh, as we perform ordinances on the earth in temples, that those of our ancestors are knowing about them as well. Now, the word turn here should be, should be translated bind or seal, but what is the object of this important mission, or how is it to be fulfilled? The keys are to be delivered, the spirit of Elijah is to come, the gospel to be established, the saints of God gathered, Zion built up, and the saints to come up as saviors on Mount Zion. But how are they to become saviors on Mount Zion? By building their temples, erecting their baptismal fonts, and going forth and receiving all the ordinances, baptisms, confirmations, washings, anointings, ordinations, and sealing powers, upon their heads in behalf of all their progenitors who are dead and redeem them that they may come forth in the first resurrection and be exalted to thrones of glory with them. And herein is the chain that binds the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers, which fulfills the mission of, of Elijah. James E. Faust said, Perhaps we regard the power bestowed by Elijah as something associated only with formal ordinances performed in sacred places. But these ordinances become dynamic and productive of good only as they reveal themselves in our daily lives. 
Malachi said that the power of Elijah would turn the hearts of the fathers and the children to each other. The heart is the seat of the emotions and a conduit for revelation. This seeding power thus reveals itself in family relationships, in attributes and virtues developed in a nurturing environment, and in loving service. These are the cords that bind families together, and the priesthood advances their development. Anyway, that again, that was by jo, uh, James E. Faust. So, that is the end of the chapter, and that is the end of the Old Testament. The end. So, uh, anyway, it's been fun having you with us uh, during this uh, podcast of the Old Testament. And uh, come back next time, and uh, it'll be the New Testament. See ya. Bye.